Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we have a special guest to talk about her favorite movies of 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com. And is that desert power that I'm feeling? We have an old friend rejoining the podcast. I'm joined on today's episode by Inverse Entertainment Editor, Kwai Chai Bui. Hey, everyone. HT, wow. welcome back to Slash Film Daily. I'm so happy to hear your voice. I'm so happy to have you back on. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really happy to be back on here, too. I miss this. I miss being able to chat about movies on a podcast uh, to all our great listeners. I miss all you guys, too. Thank you for all the kind words that you've uh, sent to me uh, since I've left Slash Film and joined Inverse. And uh, I really hope that, um, yeah, this little this little uh back down memory lane for 2022 and also for the Slash Film Daily listeners is, is uh, exciting for everyone. Yes. So, Ishii, I saw on Twitter that you said this is the first year in, I think it was six years, that you're not going to have a place to publish your personal top 10 uh, list of favorite movies of the year. And uh, I was like, you know what? This seems like a cool opportunity to get an old friend back on the podcast and just run stuff down since you, after all, you, after all, you were with Slash Film for a majority of 2022. So it only makes sense, I think. Yeah, um, I think so. I left like right before, like a month before the end of the year. So yes. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're going to do today on, on the episode. Just count down your favorite films of the year. So do you want to like run through like rapid fire any um honorable mentions or anything like that that you wanted to mention before we dive in? Yeah, I'll give a few honorable mentions. Uh, I have a list of 15 that I posted on my letterbox, although I've been trying to catch up actually in the aftermath and uh, uh, I, I would add a little bit more, but I actually haven't even seen The Fablemans yet, so I'm wow. very sorry about that. I just haven't had the chance to see it. So that's that would probably make my top 20 if it were, or maybe even top 10. We'll see. I don't know um, if I were to able able to see it. But uh, so this all comes with, you know, um, caveats. But um, my honorable mentions that I want to uh, go before I talk about my top 10 are The Eternal Daughter, 3,000 Years of Longing, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Nope, and Kimmy. And the last one I, was, I thought was such an underrated uh, Soderbergh movie and yeah. one that was highly forgotten and uh, also kind of the the second Hitchcock light movie that you'll find on my list. So I think uh, I'm a Hitchcock, Hitchcock girl at heart. So yeah, <laughs> those are my honorable mentions for now uh, before we go into the big top 10. Excellent. Excellent. So I, I think, I mean, I don't know who knows what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of weeks, but I don't think that the editors are going to jump on this podcast to break down our individual top 10s just because there are so many editors now. And I feel like, you know, the, the time has almost... Uh, uh, shifted for people to really care about this. I know we're we're planning to do our big like um, movie moments list. So anyway, all all this is to say this is probably going to be the only episode that we do that counts down an official like top ten kind of thing. So that makes this even more special. So let's get into it. HD, what is your number ten movie of twenty twenty two? My number ten movie is a film called Inu O. Uh, it's the anime film directed by Masaki Yuasa. Uh, it's best described as uh, medieval Japan punk rock. So basically, it's about a uh, young boy, Inuo, who is cursed with this deformed body because of uh, this curse that's laid on his family. Um, and his family is this group of sort of um, storytelling musicians. It's this tradition that dates back to medieval Japan. Um, and he longs to become, you know, a dancer and a, and a storyteller like them. Um, and and some, at some point, um, he meets a 
blind musician who uh, is who also t- tells story t- story tells through like different uh, folk telling. Um, you know, tradition. Uh, and since he's blind, he doesn't see like the deformities and the awful, um, awfulness of his body. He has like mangled, a mangled, not even a face, uh, long arms and limbs, no, no legs. Um, and they start performing together. Um, and the performances they make are basically like punk rock, like modern rock music. And with each performance that they give, a crowd assembles and the, like the adulation of the crowd uh, starts to give Inuo back his limbs until he becomes like this famous, this this duo becomes this famous traveling uh, duo. And um, it's so good. So I, Masaki Wasa is known for directing films like Mind Game and um, uh, some anime series like Devilman Crybaby. I'm actually not the hugest fan of him. His style is extremely avant-garde and edgy uh, and, uh, kind of a little bit too edgelord for me sometimes, but I really, really loved Inuo. It's just this fantastical rock concert of a movie that uh, manages to melt this like storytelling tradition and Japanese folk tales with you know punk rock, and <laughs> it's awesome. So that's Inuo, uh, and I highly recommend it. It's actually one of I think the only movie that is not available to stream anywhere it's very hard to find but you can probably rent it i think g kids distributes it excellent wow i'd never heard of this before but uh i am certainly intrigued hopefully uh this will you know spread the word to a lot of our listeners as well um let's go to your number nine what's your number nine movie of 2022 my, my number nine movie is decision to leave by park chen wook i really love uh, a hitchcock riff uh, and this is the most interesting riff on Vertigo, the most interesting remake of Vertigo, really, because it's it is very much like a modern contemporary spin on that Hitchcock classic, uh, and and done in a way that um, Park Chan Wook pulls out these film techniques that feel extremely classic and extremely um, of like that era, but with this newfound energy and uh, novelty, it's definitely the most accessible of, accessible of Park Chan-wook's movies. And here I'm going to confess that I'm actually not a huge Park Chan-wook fan. I really admire his films and I've seen a, lar- a, a large portion of them. I, I think Old Boy is like you know, one of our modern classics. Um, but they're not movies that I would often go and rewatch because they are extremely violent and intense and uh, heavy and dense and on the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but Decision to Leave, I saw it twice in theaters and I, I loved it more the second time I watched it because it is such a, a tame movie for him, which really took me by surprise. Uh, and it's a movie about obsession uh, and how that obsession can grow this really strange, almost symbiotic, codependent romance between this uh, police detective investigating the uh, a possible suicide of this older man and uh, his obsession and this detective's obsession with his um, with the wife of the of the dead man. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a really fantastic noir just you know oozing with style and chemistry tong Wei is incredible as the femme fatale of the piece and uh yeah i i really really like this film there's some shots in here the the creativity is kind of it's it's a really um a relatively straightforward movie but it does it is like you said sort of drenched in style and there's some really cool camera shots there's one 
it's been a while since I've seen this now, but I feel like I have this sort of burned in my head where the shot is sort of like from a phone's perspective, looking mm-hmm. at a character who's looking at their phone and you can see the screen, like the, the, um, items on the screen, uh, superimposed in between where the camera is and where the, uh, person in the frame is. And it's like, just, I've never seen someone depict, uh, looking at a phone that way before. And it's just like a really simple thing, but just, you know, he didn't have to go that hard basically. Yeah, it's like a that, cool idea. That kind of overlay is something straight out of vertigo, but it's, done with these very modern devices and modern situations. Um, and that's what I I really, really enjoyed about Decision to Leave because it, he uses a lot of the film techniques that you see in Vertigo in a lot of Hitchcock movies. Like you'll see a, a wide shot that suddenly zooms in into a, a close-up. Um, and it feels some, like something that's like ripped out of, you know, uh, 50s, 60s Hollywood, but it's done in a way that feels fresh mm-hmm. and exciting. And that's what I really liked about Decision to Leave. Yeah, man. I, and I don't, I don't want to uh, ruin this movie for anybody. So I'll just say, like, the ending sequence, like the the just the gorgeous nature of the filmmaking there, and and what that whole uh, ending represents. Um, I'll just leave it as, as vague as that. But wow, what a sort yeah. of stunner of an ending! So. Oh yeah, and um, I recommend seeing it more than once because uh, there's a lot of imagery and a lot of foreshadowing, like that's heavy in the first act that I that really comes. Uh, back in a very satisfying way in the second half. Like the the wallpaper of the sea and the mountains, that's always constantly behind Tang Wei's character. Uh, and then, of course, that all kind of comes full circle with the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that wallpaper. It's just... <laughs> it. It's so interesting because it's an optical illusion and you're not sure whether it's mountains or, or sea, sea. And I think that's very much what this movie is, too. There's so many... It is... It feels like an optical illusion of a movie. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay, excellent. Uh, Speaking of, let's keep the greatness train rolling. What is your number eight movie? My number eight movie is Tar. Tar fever is is, uh, sweeping the nation, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if the movie's box office receipts would agree with that statement, but, you know, uh, (laughs) we'll go with it. I really did not know what to uh, expect going to Tar, which is the new film by Todd Fields and stars Kate Blanchett as a fictional composer uh who in this alternate reality is lives in a world where composers are like the hottest celebrities <laughs> and uh will like be on top of time magazine and will egot and will be um you know spoken in the same venerative words as like scorsese or something which i found extremely funny um yeah one thing that caught me by surprise with tar is how funny it is it's the the best me too movie of 2022 that's not actually about me too because it's about the rise and fall of this famous composer and how her hubris ends up taking her down um to the point of that she becomes a quote-unquote victim of cancel culture but it's such an interesting and almost timeless story because it's like watching a greek tragedy unfold where you see all of the the things that she she says and that happens and that um the ghosts that literally haunt her and hover around the edges of of the film Mm -hmm. how that um all kind of crumbles around her uh throughout the um like it's some sort of like destiny or fate and it's it's fantastically performed uh Kate Blanchett's one of her best performances of her career um and it's yeah it's surprisingly funny it's surprisingly 
spooky and eerie. There is one segment like midway through the film that takes a turn for horror, which I found extremely interesting. Um, a really, really great film. Um, and one with an ending that made me like guffaw out loud. It's incredible. <laughs> um, Tar. I highly, highly recommend it. A three-hour film that you won't regret sitting the, th- the whole three, th- three hours down for. Yeah, there's some really, like, there's imagery in this movie that, um, again, is sort of burned into my brain. That like, When she goes running and she, like, thinks that she hears something behind her and turns around and just the look on her face and, like, the idea that she's so um, attuned to different sounds and stuff. Like, the, the movie does such interesting things with that and that sort of, like, dipping into the horror realm that you mentioned. I really love that about it, especially, so. Fun um, fact, that scream that she hears in the in the forests or in the woods or whatever, uh, is that the same scream used in the Blair Witch Project? Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That is insane. Okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to process that for a little bit. Uh, okay, in the meantime, um, let's go to your number seven. My number seven is the Batman. <laughs> one of my favorite blockbuster of this year and one that I feel like was kind of forgotten by a lot of top 10 lists. Not yours, Ben, because I saw it on yours. Yeah, you and uh, I actually have, I think, six out of the 10 uh, of your favorites are, are on my list as well. Yeah, so. We have very similar lists. And uh, The Batman Rules, I it's one of my favorite Batman movies. And I absolutely loved this grungy, grungy noir uh, depiction of my favorite superhero, Robert Pattinson, as a still-unformed uh, raw nerve of a character who is, um, you know, using Batman as a way to uh, unhealthily process his grief um, and trying to figure out how he can become a symbol of more than just fear. I absolutely love this movie. The chemistry between Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz is great. Uh, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Robert Pattinson's performance as a Batman who is definitely a virgin is fantastic. <laughs> um, Matt Reeves' direction, my God. There are so many scenes in this film that make that made me my jaw drop and thank God this looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, the use of the, oh gosh, um, the technology. Um, oh, the, the volume? The volume technology. Or, yeah. What is it yeah. called? Stagecraft, I think? Yes, yeah, yeah. stagecraft technology is it shows that you can make really, really beautiful films and it and have it not feel like it's an LED screen behind you. It doesn't feel limiting or, or in any way. It's, it's, it looks so great, great. So yeah, The Batman, one of the best movies of 2022. Loved it. Yeah, not enough love out there for The Batman. I don't know if it's people like feeling a little, you know, gun shy about putting a, a major blockbuster uh, on the top 10 list, or if it's just because it came out so early in the early in the year that it's like relatively forgotten. But um or maybe it's like the three hour runtime. I guess there are a lot of things that, that people, maybe people are sick of superhero movies, whatever, but like, man, this is, this is not your typical superhero movie. It really um, is, is elevated above a lot of the stuff that we see coming out on a year to year basis. So um, I can't, I can't wait for the sequel. I can't wait to like go back and rewatch this one in the lead up to whatever they do with the, the follow-up. Uh, we didn't mention Colin Farrell as the penguin. Like, I mean, just <laughs> iconic performance. I know Jacob hates that word, but uh <laughs> Yeah, really great stuff there. So, um, Okay, so that's your, let's see, 10, 9, 8, 7. That was your number 7. So let's get into your number 6 now, Aishi. My number 6 is RRR, 
by directed by SS Rajamouli. I think that everyone expected this to be on most people's lists. Um, I know it's a number one for several people on Slash Film, and I I've, I've seen this movie three times in theaters this year. Uh, I don't think there's more that can be said about it except that it is uh, the kind of movie that alters your ba- your brain chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> you think, oh, what. What can be done on the screen that hasn't already been done? Well, RR asks, what if everything that has been done on the screen happened all at once right now? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's this just this fantastic ode to masculinity, to male bonds, to musical moments, to uh, anti-imperialist, you know, messages. It's great. We love RRR. Man, the the prison break sequence in this movie is uh, has stuck with me in a way that um, you know, there are so many things that stick with me in this movie because it's like every five minutes there's a contender for you know a best movie moment candidate kind of thing. But uh, the the prison sequence and just the way that like talking about setups uh, setups and payoffs and like how the sort of um, you know shoulder ride <laughs> earlier in the movie ends up paying off in that prison break sequence. It's just uh, it's unbelievable. I, I cannot believe this movie exists. I'm, I'm very glad to see it uh, represent represented on your list. Um, okay, let's take a quick break, and then we will be right back for the remainder of HT's favorite movies of 2022. All right, HT, let's get into it. Your number five. My number five movie of uh, 2022 is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. This is a quiet, lovely little movie directed by Dean Fleischer Camp. It's based on the viral shorts, also titled Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, about a little talking one-inch shell who uh, just, you know, is really happy to be here, um, except for the fact that he is separated from his family after the couple that used to live in the house where he uh, now so lone, so solitarily lives, uh, except for his, his grandmother, um, was separated with by the couple and uh the movie is about him trying to find and reunite with his family after a documentary filmmaker befriends him um the documentary filmmaker who's living in the airbnb uh that this couple has rented out um and uh it's just like a it reminded me so much of a studio ghibli film uh but like gone through a millennial you know, internet filter, but in the most positive, optimistic way. It's such a, it is sort of cynical about how the internet works, but it is also such a humanist and, um, you know, optimistic look at at people and their connections and even non-people and their connections. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it's such a lovely little film that, that makes you want to appreciate everything that you have, um, you know, with, already with you. So yeah, I, I absolutely loved Marcella Shell with Shoes On. It's a, it's A24's first attempt at family filmmaking and by tapping into sort of the, the internet demographic as well as the Ghibli-esque uh, feeling, it really manages to hit all of those emotions. Like it's, it starts off being extremely sweet and re- extremely adorable. And then it's suddenly halfway through you're crying and you're like, Oh God. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a fantastic little film and yes. a, really, a real feat of stop motion animation too. Yeah, it is. I don't, I don't know how I feel about it being categorized as a stop motion animated movie. That mm. sort of feels like a cheat to me. Like, you know, Del Toro's Pinocchio is a stop motion animated movie. Marcel is like 
a stop motion character within a live action world. And that, that line is, um, I guess, being a little blurred by categorizations at uh, the Oscars and other ceremonies and things like that. Um, but man, this, there's like no denying the, the sort of um, quiet power of this movie. It's like such a, a wonderful little breath of fresh air. And I know that sounds trite or whatever, but like the, it really does like get you to stop and smell the roses in a great way. And it's, it's, um, yeah, just a, a gorgeous little movie. I hope, I, I feel like there wasn't a lot of conversation around it when it came out. Um, and I hope people are catching up with it as the year goes on or, or comes to an end or we start a new one. So, um, yeah, don't, don't sleep on this movie. It's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Don't ever let anyone who brushes it off as cutesy deter you from seeing this lovely little film. Yes. All right. Uh, so your number four movie, HT, is decidedly not cutesy. Um, <laughs> what is that movie? Uh, my number four movie is Bones and All. You know you had to have a Luca Guanino, Timothy Chalamet number on this list. <laughs> um, I remember watching this film and halfway through I was like, this is good, but it's not like my favorite Luca Guadagnino film um, and not nearly one of his best. But then towards the end, uh, this lump showed up in my throat and I was like, I think I'm going to cry. Um, Bones and All is a film starring Taylor Russell as a young cannibal on the run who meets another cannibal uh, on the road uh, played by Tim- Timothy Chalamet. And it's about their the romance and the, on the fringes of society and sort of meeting other people who will live this very unusual lifestyle. And it's not, you know, glamorizing cannibalism and it's also something that you know cannibalism could be read as an lgbtq metaphor or some other outsider metaphor um it's really just about these people who find this connection in a really fraught and a really you know outsider situation and um managing to to find that yeah that kindred spirit and um it's just this beautiful sweeping lush film that uh, is completely carried by Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet's old school movie star magic. Uh, and I, I think it's, it's just a, it's just a really transporting film that um, also features one of the scariest performances by Mark Rylance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's terrifying in that film um, and not in a way that's very traditionally terrifying. He just kind of gives off an extremely un- comfortable uh performance on just the bad vibes yeah yeah. bad vibes it's really like bad vibes personified yeah (laughs) but yeah uh timothy chalamet has never been more sensual taylor russell is just you know magic and um michael silver again gives a life-changing monologue but one of an extremely different variety (laughs) than what we saw in calling calling by your name Yes, yes exactly Oh man. Yeah. Uh, th- there's some, like the, uh, the moment with, um, what is the actress's name? Uh, Chloe Sevigny, mm-hmm. right. Who plays, um, well, I-, I won't give anything away, but I'll just say that moment was like, Ooh, boy, there, there's some, uh, the movie like ratchets up to another level when she shows up there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of juicy layers to this movie. <laughs> and one that I found myself really enjoying the more I came away from it. Um, because it's also not just about being an outsider, but also the layers of like self-resentment and self-hatred um, that can be part of a person regardless of, you know, whether they're cannibal or not. And I think that mm-hmm. the cannibalism represents that really well, um, both the the repression, but also the full body embrace of it. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great film. 
Excellent stuff. All right, so your number three movie, HT, what is that? My number three movie is The Banshees of Inisherin, another Colin Farrell, um, you know, banger. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is directed by Martin McDonough, and it really feels like a return to his roots. Uh, I was not a huge fan of Martin McDonough's Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, um, and I I loved the almost fable-esque um, feeling of this film, which is about uh, two longtime friends who suddenly find themselves uh, at a breakup, essentially. Uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson reuniting after In Bruges. Brendan Gleeson being sort of the older uh, friend who suddenly decides that he doesn't want to be uh, Colin Farrell's friend anymore. He wants to make some kind of mark, some kind of legacy in this world. And Colin Farrell plays uh, this sort of simpleton who doesn't really understand that. He just he doesn't understand why people can't just, you know, be nice to each other. And uh, all uh, all of this is set in like 1912 uh, Ireland um, at the on, on the with the backdrop of the of an Irish civil war happening. Um, and uh, it's it's a really and funny acerbic blackly comic very like very sad and melancholy film um if colin farrell feels like a character who was like ripped out of a a fable and is tossed into this uh world that has no patience for foolish men like him he it's it's a and then burning gleason is a character who's dealing with uh, a really self-destructive form of depression that kind of takes down everything, everyone around him uh, while he doesn't know how to deal with that. And it's just mm-hmm. a, it's a fantastic little film. Um, I don't even want to say little. I, I feel like I'm saying that too much. It's a fantastic film. <laughs> yeah. The, the ending of this is like so devastating. Mm-hmm. The, um, the part where he's writing a letter back to his sister and sort of doing the voice voiceover narration of that. And like the imagery that plays out underneath that and sort of how the, those two things are juxtaposed and, and, um, uh, conflict with each other in really, really sad ways. It's just like, Oh man, ripped my heart out. So, yeah. um, Excellent. Excellent choice. Man, this list is uh, shaping up well, HC. All right, let's get into your number two of the year. My number two is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, uh, directed by The Daniels and starring Michelle Yeoh as a laundromat owner trying to do her taxes uh, when suddenly she is pulled into a multiversal war as the one person who can uh, stop this multiverse-destroying uh, entity because she is the one version of herself who never reached her full potential. This movie, uh, yeah, I don't know how much more I can say about this movie that hasn't been said. It's a glorious and absurd and sad and funny and action-packed and overwhelming depiction of living in in our current globalized world and dealing with everything happening all at once. Uh, It's about intergenerational trauma. It's about um, dealing with anxiety. It's about dealing with depression. It's about dealing with uh, bad parents and, and bad daughters and bad husbands. And, um, and, you know, it has dildo jokes. So Mm -hmm. it's really everything wrapped into this perfect, strange, multicolored, uh, visually dazzling, closest thing to a Satoshi Kon film uh, type of package. And uh, it's one of 
the best things that has come out of of the movies in in years. Yeah, it's just pure creativity, uh, like across the board. It's really, really incredible. Just thinking about the budget of this movie compared to some of the stuff, you know, that that's even like on the rest of your list, you know, the Batman cost. Like the, it seems like the budget for every everything everywhere all at once is probably like the catering budget of something like the Batman, you know. Um, but just what they're able to accomplish here, the, all those ideas that you mentioned, like the fact that you can wrap all of that up in this one multiversal package and still make it feel grounded and personal and human, even though there's all this like totally bonkers stuff happening all the time, is really really a testament to the way that the Daniels make movies, and it's. Um, they did something similar with Swiss Army Man, where like it's a movie about a farting corpse, but it's actually a lot more than that. And this movie it, it does a similar thing, and and it's really um yeah kind of like a miracle of a movie. It's kind of incredible that it exists. So uh, I, I love this one as well. I'm really glad to see it this high up on your list, HD. Um, all right, I guess the, without further ado, let's get into your number one movie of 2022. What was it? My number one movie of 2022 is After Yang. It's the film directed by Kogonada, starring Colin Farrell, Justin Min. Um, and it's a movie about uh, sort of set in a near distant future where androids are commonly owned by families uh, across the country. And this one family has uh, bought a, a used android to help uh, their adoptive daughter, who is Chinese, uh, get in touch with her culture. But over the years, the android... Uh, named Yang, has become a part of the family and embraced as such, not just as a sort of tutor to their daughter, but also as a sibling, as a son. Um, and then one day, Yang breaks. And in the attempt to try to fix him, they discover that Yang had lived a whole other life simultaneously with his current one and in his past too. And it's this beautiful depiction of Transracial, transhumanist um, angst and non belonging. It's basically about how a life in pieces uh, can feel so much stronger just because of the sheer weight uh, of existence. Um, and there's so many, so many things that I love about this. It's basically um, going back through Yang's memories and discovering. Uh, you know, a lost love, but one that maybe he re rediscovers and in rediscovering this love finds some sort of human part of him that sort of grows and becomes stronger and um, more human and like the definition of what humanity is. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's, it uses a lot of a Japanese film that I really loved growing up. Um, and that really made an impact on me. It's called All About Lily Choo Choo. Um, and um, this film has this one song that is uh, re-covered by Mitski in uh, After Yang. And it becomes sort of like this one, I don't want to say trigger, but kind of like connective tissue um, that uh, strings together all the elements of, of Yang's life. Um, and, uh, the one verse that you hear from it, it just, is just, I want to be, um, and it is kind of a Pinocchio story in a way, but it's not even that it's not about wanting to be human, um, in the way that Pinocchio or that like even Blade Runner 2049 is, it's just about mm -hmm. like, you are human just because you have, you existed and you have all of these experiences, you have all these memories, you have these connections. And that's what I find so affirming and 
beautiful and just so extremely humanist about uh, after Yang. Yeah, the the grafting sequence is really lovely. Um, Justin H. Min, who plays Yang in the movie, is is just uh, sort of a knockout performance and a really like relatively quiet um, performance and a relatively quiet movie. But like, man, it, it makes such a huge impact. And uh, Colin Farrell, I'm, I'm so glad that like Colin Farrell had this incredible year. We wrote an article on on Slash Film about like, did anybody have a better 2022 uh, than Colin Farrell like in the movies and you and I actually have all three of the, the Colin Farrell joints on our uh, on our list. I'm so glad that you have one of his at at number one because, um, you know, he's he's such an interesting person to think about, like in the the arc of his career and and um, where he is now and uh, the way that he's teaming up with these filmmakers to make really dramatically different but really interesting in their own way projects. Um, and and I love seeing what he, seeing what he did with with Koganata here. Uh, man, just really really. Um, a compelling movie and like super emotional too that I, I wasn't quite expecting. There's a moment where he steps outside and sort of lifts his face to the rain after he learns the, the truth and, and cracks into those memories of, uh, of the Yang character that like just, um yeah, sort of encapsulates that, that feeling of like, oof, boy, like, you know, it, it, we're all the same, even though there, there's all this difference, you know, uh, ostensibly different stuff between us. Um, th- there's a, there's those connections that you're talking about. So, yeah. Um, I actually have a hot take about that's about, uh, the sort of shared theme, I guess, between my top two movies after Yang and everything everywhere all at once. So they're obviously extremely different movies in probably every way possible, but I consider after Yang to be sort of the minimalist, uh, foiled to everything everywhere all at once this maximalist um, you know movie and they both kind of come to a somewhat similar uh, resolution about how whether life is worth living hmm. and um, everything everywhere all at once comes to this conclusion uh, because every is because there's so much oh there's so much happening there's so much uh, pain and sadness and loneliness is life really worth living when when nothing really matters um, and it comes to that the conclusion that yes life is worth living in the face of of ultimate nihilism and after yang is about how life is also worth living because because of a similar thing not even because of a more cy- the cynical nihilism but because life is so beautiful. And uh, I, I think that they make such interesting contrasts to each other in both style and um, and approach. But I found it so interesting that I, I came away with very similar um, like thoughts after yeah. watching both movies. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not thought about it from that perspective, but it really does seem like a, a really interesting double feature in that way. I, I would say like watch everything everywhere all at once and then follow it up with After Yang just to sort of like take you down a peg because <laughs> uh, ending that that double feature um, in the opposite order would uh, would really jack you up, I think. So, um, yeah, that, man, that's that's fascinating stuff. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. Aisha, it was so glorious to have you back on the podcast. I'm so happy that uh, that we had the chance to do this. So thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me back. I'm so happy that I got to return to for this brief little, uh, you know, t- stint down my, um, my top 10 movies. So thank you, everyone. And uh, thanks so much for, yeah, having me back and listening in on this convo. 
yeah, maybe we can do it again uh, at the at some point in 2023. I hope this won't be the last time that you're ever on the show. But um, but yeah, man, uh, it was great to have you. And you can find more about all the movies that HD mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I'll link to a few things in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. You can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhelm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.